Act One of As You Like It by William Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dramatis Personae Orlando, read by Ariel Lipshaw. Adam, read by Kevin Green. The Part of Oliver, read by Todd. Dennis, read by Christine G. Charles, read by Algie Pug. Celia, read by Eden Ray Hedrick. Rosalind, read by Elizabeth Clatt. Touchstone, read by Christine G. The Part of the Bull, read by Todd. Frederick, read by Ken Garrett. Duke Senior, read by Alan Mapstone. A Lord, read by Todd. Amiens, read by Grace Garrett. First Lord, read by Todd. Forrester, read by Christine G. Second Lord, Sir Oliver Martext, and Second Page, read by Elizabeth Clatt. Jaquiz, read by M.B. First Lord, read by Christine G. Corin, read by Ernst Patinama. Silvius, read by Charlotte Duckett. Audrey, read by Amy Graymore. Phoebe, read by Catalina Watt. William, read by Grace Garrett. Hyman, read by Kevin Green. Jaquiz Du Bois, read by Algie Pug. Narration, read by David Lawrence. Act One, Scene One, Orchard of Oliver's House. Enter Orlando and Adam. As I remember, Adam, it was upon this fashion bequeathed me by will but poor a thousand crowns, and as thou sayest, charged my brother on his blessing to breed me well and there begins my sadness. My brother Jaques he keeps at school, and report speaks goldenly of his profit. For my part he keeps me rustically at home, or, to speak more properly, stays me here at home unkept. For call you that keeping for a gentleman of my birth that differs not from the stalling of an ox? His horses are bred better, for, besides that they are fair with their feeding, they are taught their manage, and to that end riders dearly hired. But I, his brother, gain nothing under him but growth, for the which his animals on his dunghills are as much bound to him as I. Besides this nothing that he so plentifully gives me, the something that nature gave me his countenance seems to take from me. He lets me feed with his hinds, bars me the place of a brother, and as much as in him lies, Mine's my gentility with my education. This is it, Adam, that grieves me, and the spirit of my father, which I think is within me, begins to mutiny against this servitude. I will no longer endure it, though yet I know no wise remedy how to avoid it. Yonder comes my master, your brother. Go apart, Adam, and thou shalt hear how he will shake me up. Enter Oliver. Now, sir, what make you here? Nothing. I am not taught to make anything. What mar you then, sir? Mary, sir, I am helping you to mar that which God made, a poor unworthy brother of yours, with idleness. Mary, sir, be better employed, and be not a while. Shall I keep your hogs and eat husks with them? What prodigal portion have I spent that I should come to such penury? Know you where you are, sir? Oh, sir, very well, here in your orchard. Know you before whom, sir? I, better than him I am before, knows me. 
I know you are my eldest brother, and in the gentle condition of blood you should so know me. The courtesy of nations allows you my better in that you were the first-born. But the same tradition takes not away my blood, were there twenty brothers betwixt us. I have as much of my father in me as you, albeit, I confess, your coming before me is nearer to his reverence. What, boy? Come, come, elder brother, you are too young in this. Wilt thou lay hands on me, villain? I am no villain. I am the youngest son of Sir Roland de Bois. He was my father, and he is thrice a villain that says such a father begot villains. Wert thou not my brother, I would not take this hand from thy throat till this other had pulled out thy tongue for saying so. Thou hast railed on thyself. Sweet masters, be patient, for your father's remembrance be at accord. Let me go, I say. I will not till I please. You shall hear me. My father charged you in his will to give me good education. You have trained me like a peasant, obscuring and hiding from me all gentlemanlike qualities. The spirit of my father grows strong in me, and I will no longer endure it. Therefore, allow me such exercises as may become a gentleman, or give me the poor lottery my father left me by testament. With that I will go buy my fortunes. And what wilt thou do? Beg when that is spent? Well, sir, get you in. I will not long be troubled with you. You shall have some part of your will. I pray you, leave me. I will no further offend you than becomes me for my good. Get you with him, you old dog. Is old dog my reward? Most true, I have lost my teeth in your service. God be with my old master. He would not have spoke such a word. Exeunt, Orlando and Adam. Is it even so? Begin you to grow upon me? I will psychic your rankness, and yet give no thousand crowns neither. Hola, Dennis. Enter Dennis. Calls your worship. Was not Charles, the Duke's wrestler, here to speak with me? So please you. He is here at the door, and importunes access to you. Call him in. Exit, Dennis. It will be a good way, and tomorrow the wrestling is. Enter Charles. Good mother, dear worship. Good Monsieur Charles. What is the new news at the new court? There's no news at the court, sir, but the old news. That is, the old duke is banished by his younger brother, the new duke. And three or four loving lads have put themselves in a voluntary exile with him, whose lands and revenues enrich the new duke. Therefore, he gives them good leave to wander. Can you tell if Rosalind, the duke's daughter, be banished with her father? Oh, no. For the duke's daughter, her cousin, so loves her, being ever from the cradles bred together, that she would have followed her exile, or have died to stay behind her. She is at the court, and no less beloved of her uncle than his own daughter, and never two ladies loved as they do. Where will the old duke live? They say he is already in the forest of Arden, and many merry men with him. And there they live like the old Robin Hood of England. They see many young gentlemen flock to him every day, and fleet the times carelessly, as they did in the golden world. What? You wrestle tomorrow before the new duke? Marry, do I, sir? And I came to acquaint you with a matter 
I am given, sir, secretly, to understand that your younger brother, Orlando, hath a disposition to come in disguised against me to try a fall. To-morrow, sir, I wrestle for my credit, and he that escapes me without some broken limb shall acquit him well. Your brother is but young and tender, and for your love I would be loath to foil him, as I must for my own honour, if he come in. Therefore, out of my love to you, I came hither to acquaint you withal, that either you might stay him from his intendment, or brook such disgrace, well as he shall run into, in that it is a thing of his own such, and altogether against my will. Charles, I thank thee for thy love to me, which thou shalt find I will most kindly requite. I had myself notice of my brother's purpose herein, and have by underhanded means laboured to dissuade him from it. But he is resolute. I'll tell thee, Charles, it is the stubbornest young fellow of France, full of ambition, an envious emulator of every man's good parts, a secret and villainous contriver against me, his natural brother. Therefore, use thy discretion, I had as lief thou didst break his neck as his finger, and thou wert best to look to it. For if thou dost him any slight disgrace, or if he do not mightily grace himself on thee, he will practice against thee by poison, and trap thee by some treacherous device, and never leave thee till he has taken thy life by some indirect means or other. For I assure you, and almost with tears I speak of it, there is not one so young and so villainous this day living. I speak but brotherly of him, but should I anatomize him to thee as he is, I must blush and weep, and thou must look pale and wonder. I'm heartily glad I came hither to you. If he come to-morrow, I'll give him his payment. If ever he go alone again, I'll never wrestle for prize more. And so God keep your worship. Farewell, good Charles. Exit Charles. Now will I stir this gamester. I hope I shall see an end of him. For my soul, yet I know not why, hates nothing more than he. Yet he's gentle never schooled and yet learned full of noble device of all sorts enchantingly beloved and indeed so much in the heart of the world and especially of my own people who best know him that i am altogether misprized but it shall not be so long this wrestler shall clear all nothing remains but that i kindle the boy thither which now i'll go about exit scene two lon before the duke's palace enter celia and rosalind I pray thee, Rosalind, sweet my cause, be merry. Dear Celia, I show more mirth than I am mistress of, and would you yet I were merrier? Unless you could teach me to forget a banished father, you must not learn me how to remember any extraordinary pleasure. Herein I see thou lovest me not with the full weight that I love thee. If my uncle, thy banished father, had banished thy uncle, the duke my father, so thou hadst still been with me, I could have taught my love to take thy father for mine. So wouldst thou, if the truth of thy love for me were so righteously tempered as mine is to thee. Well, I will forget the condition of my estate to rejoice in yours. You know my father hath no child but I, nor none is like to have, and truly, when he dies, thou shalt be his heir, for what he hath taken away from thy father perforce I will render thee again in affection by mine honour. I will, and when I break that oath let me turn monster. Therefore, my sweet Rose, my dear Rose, be merry. From henceforth I will, cuz, and devise sports. Let me see. 
What think you of falling in love? Mary, I prithee do, to make sport withal, but love no man in good earnest, nor no further in sport, neither then with safety of a pure blush thou mayst in honour come off again. What shall be our sport, then? Let us sit and mock the good housewife fortune from her wheel, that her gifts may henceforth be bestowed equally. I would we could do so, for her benefits are mightily misplaced, and the bountiful blind woman doth most mistake in her gifts to women. Tis true, for those that she makes fair she scarce makes honest, and those she makes honest she makes very ill-favouredly. Nay, now thou goest from fortune's office to nature's. Fortune reigns in gifts of the world, not in the lineaments of nature. Enter Touchstone. No. When nature hath made a fair creature, may she not by fortune fall into the fire? Though nature hath given us wit to flout at fortune, hath not fortune sent in this fool to cut off the argument? Indeed, there is fortune too hard for nature, when fortune makes nature's natural the cutter off of nature's wit. A peradventure this is not fortune's work neither, but nature's, who perceiveth our natural wits too dull to reason of such goddess, and hath sent this natural for our whetstone, for always the dullness of the fool is the whetstone of the wits. How now, wit, whither wander you? Mistress, you must come away to your father. Were you made the messenger? No, by mine honour, but I was bid to come for you. Where learned you that oath, fool? Of a certain knight that swore by his honour they were good pancakes, and swore by his honour the mustard were not. Now I'll stand to it, the pancakes were not, and the mustard was good, and yet was not the knight forsworn. How prove you that in the great heap of your knowledge? Ay, marry, now unmuzzle your wisdom. Stand you both forth now, stroke your chins, and swear by your beards that I am a knave. By our beards, if we had them, thou art. By my knavery, if I had it, then I were. But if you swear by that, that is not, you are not forsworn. No more was this knight swearing by his honour, for he never had any. Or if he had, he had sworn it away, before ever he saw those pancakes or that mustard. Prithee, who is't thou meanest? One that old Frederick, your father, loves. My father's love is enough to honour him. Enough. Speak no more of him. You'll be whipped for taxation one of these days. The more pity that fools may not speak wisely what wise men do foolishly. By my troth thou sayest true, for since the little wit that fools have was silenced, the little foolery that wise men have makes a great show. Here comes Monsieur Le Beau. With his mouth full of news. Which he will put on us as pigeons feed their young. <laughs> then we shall be news crammed. All the better. We shall be the more marketable. Enter Le Beau. Bonjour, Monsieur Le Beau. What's the news? They are princess. You have lost much good sport. Sport? Of what colour? What colour, madam? How shall I answer you? As wit and fortune will. Or as the destinies decree. Well said. That was laid on with a trowel. Nay, if I keep not my rank. Thou losest thy old smell. You amaze me, ladies. I would have told you of good wrestling, which you have lost the sight of. You tell us the manner of the wrestling. I will tell you the beginning, and if it please your ladyships, you may see the end, for the best is yet to do, and here, where you are, they are coming to perform it. Well, the beginning, that is dead and buried. There comes an old man, and his three sons. I could match this beginning with an old tale. Three proper young men, of excellent growth and presence. With bills on their necks, be it known unto all men by these presents. 
the eldest of the three wrestled with charles the duke's wrestler which charles in a moment threw him and broke three of his ribs so that there is little hope of life in him so he served the second and so the third yonder they lie the poor old man their father making such pitiful dole over them that all the beholders take part in his weeping alas but what is the sport monsieur that the ladies have lost why this that i speak of thus men may grow wiser every day it is the first time that ever i heard breaking of ribs was sport for ladies or i i promise thee but is there any else longs to see this broken music in his sides is there yet another dotes upon rib breaking shall we see this wrestling cousin you must if you stay here for here is the place appointed for the wrestling and they are ready to perform it yonder sure they are coming let us now stay and see it flourish enter duke frederick lords orlando charles and attendants come on since the youth will not be entreated his own peril on his forwardness is yonder the man even he madam alas he is too young yet he looks successfully how now daughter and cousin are you crept hither to see the wrestling ay my liege so please you give us leave you will take little delight in it i can tell you there is such odds in the man in pity of the challenger's youth i would fain dissuade him but he will not be entreated speak to him ladies see if you can move him call him hither good monsieur le beau do so i'll not be by monsieur the challenger the princess is called for you i attend them with all respect and duty young man have you challenged charles the wrestler no fair princess he is the general challenger i come but in as others do to try with him the strength of my youth young gentlemen your spirits are too bold for your years you have seen cruel proof of this man's strength if you saw yourself with your eyes or knew yourself with your judgment the fear of your adventure would counsel you to a more equal enterprise we pray you for your own sake to embrace your own safety and give over this attempt do young sir your reputation shall not therefore be misprized we will make it our suit to the duke that the wrestling might not go forward i beseech you punish me not with your hard thoughts wherein i confess me much guilty to deny so fair and excellent ladies anything but let your fair eyes and gentle wishes go with me to my trial wherein if i be foiled there is but one shamed that was never gracious if killed but one dead that was willing to be so i shall do my friends no wrong for i have none to lament me the world no injury for in it i have nothing only in the world i fill up a place which may be better supplied when i have made it empty the little strength that i have i would it were with you and mine to eke out hers fare you well pray heaven i be deceived in you your heart's desires be with you come where is this young gallant that is so desirous to lie with his mother earth ready sir but his will hath in it a more modest working you shall try but one fall no i warrant your grace you shall not entreat him to a second that have so mightily persuaded him from a first and you mean to mock me after you should not have mocked me before but come your ways now hercules be thy speed young man 
I would I were invisible to catch the strong fellow by the leg. They wrestle. Oh, excellent young man! If I had a thunderbolt in mine eye, I can tell who it should down. Shout! Charles is thrown. No more! No more! Yes, I beseech your grace, I am not yet well breathed. How dost thou, Charles? Ye cannot speak, my lord. Bear him away. What is thy name, young man? Orlando, my liege, the youngest son of Sir Roland de Bois. I would thou hadst been son to some man else. The world esteemed thy father honorable, but I did find him still mine enemy. Thou shouldst have better pleased me with this deed, hast thou descended from another house. But fare thee well, thou art a gallant youth. I would thou hadst told me of another father. Exeunt, Duke Frederick, Train, and Lebeau. Were I my father, cause, would I do this? I am more proud to be Sir Roland's son, his youngest son, and would not change that calling to be adopted heir to Frederick. My father loved Sir Roland as his soul, and all the world was of my father's mind. Had I before known this young man his son, I should have given him tears unto entreaties, ere he should thus have ventured. Gentle cousin, let us go thank him and encourage him. My father's rough and envious disposition sticks me at heart. Sir, you have well deserved, if you do keep your promise in love. But justly, as you have exceeded all promise, your mistress shall be happy. Gentlemen, giving him a chain from her neck wear this for me one out of suits with fortune that could give more but that her hand lacks means shall we go coz ay fare you well fair gentleman can i not say i thank you my better parts are all thrown down and that which here stands up is but a quintain a mere lifeless block he calls us back my pride fell with my fortunes i'll ask him what he would did you call, sir? Sir, you have wrestled well, and overthrown more than your enemies. Will you go, cuz? Have with you? Fare you well. Exeunt Rosalind and Celia. What passion hangs these weights upon my tongue? I cannot speak to her, yet she urged conference. Oh, poor Orlando, thou art overthrown, or Charles or something weaker masters thee. Re-enter Lebeau. Good sir, I do in friendship counsel you to leave this place. Albeit you have deserved high commendation, true applause and love, yet such is now the Duke's condition that he misconstrues all that you have done. The Duke is humorless, what he is indeed more suits you to conceive than I to speak of. I thank you, sir, and pray you, tell me this, which of the two was daughter of the duke that here was at the wrestling? Neither his daughter, if we judge by manners. And yet, indeed, the lesser is his daughter, the other is daughter to the banished duke, and here detained by her usurping uncle to keep his daughter company. Whose loves are dearer than the natural bond of sisters? But I can tell you that of late this duke hath taken displeasure against his gentle niece, rounded upon no other argument than that the people praise her for her virtues and pity her for her good father's sake and on my life his malice against the lady will suddenly break forth sir fare you well 
hereafter in a better world than this, I shall desire more love and knowledge of you. I rest much bounden to you. Fare you well. Exit Lebeau. Thus must I from the smoke into the smother, from tyrant duke unto a tyrant brother. But heavenly Rosalind! Exit. Scene three. A room in the palace. Enter Celia and Rosalind. Why, cousin, why, Rosalind, Cupid, have mercy, not a word. Not one to throw at a dog. No, thy words are too precious to be cast away upon curs. Throw some of them at me. Come, lame me with reasons. Then there were two cousins laid up, when the one should be lamed with reasons, and the other mad without any. But is this all for your father? No. Some of it is for my child's father. Oh, how full of briars is this working-day world! They are but burrs, cousin, thrown upon thee in holiday foolery. If we walk not in the trodden paths, our very petticoats will catch them. I could shake them off my coat. These burrs are in my heart. Hem them away. I would try if I could cry hem and have him. Come, come, wrestle with thy affections. Oh, they take the part of a better wrestler than myself. Oh, a good wish upon you. You will try in time, in spite of the fall. But turning these jests out of service, let us talk in good earnest. Is it possible, on such a sudden, you should fall into so strong a liking with old Sir Alan's youngest son? The Duke my father loved his father dearly. Doth it therefore ensue that you should love his son dearly? By this kind of chase I should hate him, for my father hated his father dearly, yet I hate not Orlando. No, Faith, hate him not, for my sake. Why should I not? Doth he not deserve well? Let me love him for that, and do you love him because I do. Look, here comes the Duke. With his eyes full of anger. Enter Duke Frederick with lords. Mistress, dispatch you with your safest haste. Get you from our court. Me, uncle? You, cousin. Within these ten days, if that thou beest found, so near our public court as twenty miles, thou diest for it. I do beseech your grace. Let me the knowledge of my fault bear with me. If with myself I hold intelligence, or have acquaintance with mine own desires, if and I do not dream, or be not frantic, as I do trust I am not, then, dear uncle, never so much as in a thought unborn did I offend your highness. Thus do all traitors. If their purgation did consist in words, they are as innocent as grace itself. Let it suffice thee that I trust thee not. Yet your mistrust cannot make me a traitor. Tell me whereon the likelihood depends. Thou art thy father's daughter. There's enough. So was I when your highness took his dukedom. So was I when your highness banished him. Treason is not inherited, my lord. Or if we did derive it from our friends, what's that to me? My father was no traitor. Then, good my liege, mistake me not so much to think my poverty is treacherous. Dear sovereign, hear me speak. Ay, Celia, we stayed her for your sake, else had she with her father rang the long. I did not then entreat to have her stay. It was your pleasure and your own remorse. I was too young that time to value her. But now I know her. If she be a traitor, why, so am I. We still have slept together, rose at an instant, learned, played, eat together, and wheresoever we went, like Juno's swan, still we went coupled and inseparable. She is too subtle for thee, 
and her smoothness, her very silence and her patience, speak to the people and they pity her. Thou art a fool. She robs thee of thy name, and thou wilt show more bright and seem more virtuous when she is gone. Then open not thy lips. Firm and irrevocable is my doom, which I have passed upon her. She is banished. Pronounce that sentence then on me, my liege. I cannot live out of her company. You are a fool. You, niece, provide yourself. If you outstay the time upon mine honor and in the greatness of my word, you die. Exeunt, Duke Frederick and Lords. Oh, my poor Rosalind, whither wilt thou go? Wilt thou change fathers? I will give thee mine. I charge thee, be not thou more grieved than I. I have more cause. Thou hast not, cousin. Prithee be cheerful. Knowst thou not the Duke hath banished me, his daughter? That he hath not. No, hath not. Rosalind lacks then the love which teacheth thee that thou and I am one. Shall we be sundered? Shall we part, sweet girl? No, let my father seek another heir. Therefore devise with me how we may fly, whither to go and what to bear with us, and do not seek to take your change upon you, to bear your griefs yourself and leave me out. For by this heaven, now at our sorrows pale, say what thou canst, I'll go along with thee. Why, whither shall we go? To seek my uncle in the forest of Arden. Alas, what danger will it be to us, maids as we are, to travel forth so far? Beauty provoketh thieves sooner than gold. I'll put myself in poor and mean attire, and with a kind of umber smirch my face. The like do you, so shall we pass along, and never stir assailants. Were it not better, because that I am more than common tall, that I did suit me all points like a man? A gallant curtle-axe upon my thigh, a boar-spear in my hand, and, in my heart, lie there what hidden woman's fear there will, will have a swashing and a martial outside as many other mannish cowards have that do outface it with their semblances. What shall I call thee when thou art a man? I'll have no worse a name than Jove's own page, and therefore look you call me Ganymede. But what will you be called? Something that hath a reference to my state. No longer Celia, but Aliena. But, cousin, what if we essayed to steal the clownish fool out of your father's court? Would he not be a comfort to our travel? He'll go along o'er the wide world with me. Leave me alone to woo him. Let's away, and get our jewels and our wealth together. Devise the fittest time and safest way to hide us from pursuit that will be made after my flight. Now go we in content, to liberty, and not to banishment. Exeunt. End of Act One.